0: This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Well, we are continuing our sermon series and I'll be focusing on the emotion of joy. We're going to focus on only one verse, so pay attention, it'll go by fast. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that your truth would go deep down so that it hits us at the deepest level, down in our heart, hit our emotions. Let our emotions align with the truth that you are good, that you are here, that you're working all things out for our good so that we live lives of joy. And don't let anything I'm doing get in the way of the work of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. What do you think? Is this glass half empty or half full? Some of you might say, well, it was full until I saw Pastor Bill drink it over there and that was (laughs) half empty. He said, don't put that by me, I'll drink it all. No. Uh, Some of you are maybe uh, more optimistic and you look at everything, even this glass. You know, classically you say, it's half full. I can see the good in all things. Some of you, as I've heard it said, say, uh, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist, pastor. (laughs) I'm a realist, right? There's, There's some things that are really wrong. There's some things that have been taken away. There's some things that are problems. There are real things that we have to focus on that are not good. And so I'm a realist. And that's good. We need, we need people who are realists, who can point out problems, who can identify issues so we can improve on them. But after a while, you realists among us uh, long for some joy. You long to see some good. And some of you are optimists. You're you're kind of bouncing around like a bunny, you know, always excited about things, trying to see the good. and, And you're always, anytime someone comes in with a negative attitude, you have the ability to say, yeah, but look at the bright side. Look at the silver lining. Look at the good that's happening. But even some of you who are more, you know, have that disposition of being more joyful and more positive over time, you can get exhausted. And you can even, even you can run out of things of being joyful about And that's why it seems almost cruel, almost unkind when Paul gives this command, rejoice always. Rejoice always. That's kind of surprising. Rejoice always? It seems cruel. How can we have this feeling always? Well, we are continuing this sermon series on emotions called Emotions Dealing With Your Feelings. And really there are four main emotions and all the other emotions kind of fill in. There's mad, there's sad, there's scared or worried, and then there's glad. And all the different emotions kind of fall underneath there. So you can be mad about things and and angry and frustrated. That can happen. You can be sad, you know, depressed and and can't really get going. You can be scared or anxious or worried. And those are the emotions that we want to deal with. You know, they'll happen to us and they just kind of spring on us. We respond to those emotions. We have to deal with those and mitigate them and minimize them and move through them and face them. But then there's this other emotion, gladness, thankfulness, joy, that we want to encourage, that we want to experience more and more. And so that's really the question I want to answer is, how can we always, like Paul says, rejoice always, how can we always experience joy? Is that actually possible? Is that actually possible? And to answer that question, we're going to go to the letter of joy. It's my wife's favorite letter. We we seem to read this as a family over and over again uh, because it's so filled with joy, the letter to the Philippians. That's a short letter. You can read it in one sitting. But in this short letter that Paul wrote to his church in Philippi, he says the word joy or rejoice something like 12, 14 times, something like that in that really short letter. He's saying it over and over and over again. And that's surprising because he's writing this letter from jail. And it's not a, you know, a clean, um, you know, sanitized jail with, with amenities and meals and things like that. He is in a Roman prison writing to a persecuted people. The last time Paul was in Philippi, he was also thrown into jail. Remember that story of Paul and the, the, the jailer from Philippi, if you know that story? That's what happened in the Philippians, the, the city of Philippi. So Paul is in jail, writing to a people who are persecuted, who are under persecution, that there should be no reason to be filled with joy, and not only is he filled with joy, but he commands his audience, his congregation, to be filled with joy. How could that be? Well, let's look at what he doesn't say, and maybe we can find out how we can always be filled with joy. He doesn't say, rejoice in your circumstances. That's not how it goes. He didn't say rejoice in your circumstances because his circumstances are pretty bad. He used to be persecuted by his own people, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, and and now he's doing mission work, and now the Romans are throwing him in jail. He can't do all the, the missionary work he wants to do and travel and see his congregations and care about them. On top of that, many people believe that Paul has uh, health conditions. Uh, he talks about his eyes uh, being weak, that maybe he has an eye issue, had a thorn in the flesh. Many people think that was a some kind of physical ailment. There's infighting going on in his congregations. There's a lot of circumstances that if you look at them, they would not cause you to rejoice. And maybe that's where you're at. When you look at your circumstances, maybe you're in a, an abusive relationship, maybe you're in a, a, a failing marriage, maybe your health is not doing well, maybe you're in a dead-end job that you are just longing to get out of or wanting to change, and you look at your circumstances and there's no reason for joy. At least not always. And so Paul doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. That'd be unkind. That'd be, uh, that, you, you won't be able to do that. He doesn't say rejoice always in your status in society. You know, one time Paul was really revered among his own people. He says in this letter to, the Hebrew, or to the letter to the Philippians, he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was top of my class. I was president of the club. You know, everybody wanted to be like me. I was accepted among the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and I was accepted in society. And he said he lost all of that. I guess today that would be like, everyone defriends you on social media. Your neighbors stop talking to you. Uh, People are talking about you behind your back at work or at school. And so you kind of lose your status in society. You're not really accepted by your peers. And that can happen. Maybe sometimes you, you feel really popular and liked and accepted by people online or in person. And then sometimes you feel shunned and you wonder what they're saying about you. And so he doesn't say rejoice in your status in society. He doesn't say rejoice in your success You know, he was called by God to start all these congregations. And if you read the book of Acts, Paul goes on these three missionary journeys, and he starts these congregations. And in many ways, you would you would think, wow, he's starting congregations in in Pisidian Antioch, and Galatia, and Philippi, and Thessalonica, and all Colossi, and all these congregations he's starting. But then you read his letters as he's responding to these congregations and you find out that in Corinth, there's all this infighting, there's all this heresy and false teaching, there's all this persecution, people are leaving the congregation, some congregations are growing, some are shrinking. And so you can't rejoice in your success because sometimes you're not outwardly successful. Maybe that's how it is for you. Maybe you started a business and things were booming at one time, but now people aren't buying your product. Or maybe you were hitting all your numbers at your job and now the, the boss is kind of wondering what happened to you. Why aren't you as successful as you used to be? Or maybe you thought, you know, your family seemed to be growing up successful. Your kids seem to be adjusted and well-behaved and now they're rebellious. And so if you find your identity, your joy, your happiness in your success, it's going to come and go. And so he doesn't say rejoice in your success. And and I can go on and on, but finally he doesn't say rejoice in your goodness or rejoice in your righteousness. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament, this missionary above missionaries, Paul said, you know what, I wake up in the morning and the thing that I want to do, that's not what I do. And the thing that I don't want to do, you know what? That's what I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who's going to rescue me from this body of death? And so Paul couldn't find his joy. He couldn't rejoice in how well he was pulling off the Christian life. His holiness, his righteousness, all the great things he did for society. He couldn't find his righteousness in his performance, religious performance. And we want to see progress in our, in our walk with Jesus. We, we hope we're not the same person we were 10 years ago or yesterday even. We want to be growing our faith and our love for God. But if you look to your religious performance or your, your goodness, your righteousness as your source of joy, you're going to be quickly disappointed when you get short with your kids, when you find yourself getting so angry at work that you start gossiping at home about the, your coworkers. And you start to say, Wow, I, I lack the love I thought I would have as a Christian. So you can't rejoice in your goodness, in your progress. So, what does Paul say can be an endless source of joy? That you can actually rejoice always. He says this Rejoice in the Lord always. And if you didn't hear him, I will say it again Rejoice. That In the Lord, you will find an endless source of joy, an endless reason to rejoice. Now, what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? You could say rejoice maybe in the work of the Lord. Rejoice in what the Lord is up to. And you think about what the things he's done in the past, the historical things like the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that God walked into history, that he lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live. He did all the things. He he lived that life of righteousness and goodness. He always had joy in the Lord in his circumstances because he believed that God was at work. He was successful in giving up his life and he conquered over death. You can rejoice in what he's done in the past, but you can also rejoice in what he's doing now. See, if you'd ask Paul, Paul, is this glass half empty or half full? Paul, are you a realist or an optimist? Are you a pessimist or an optimist? Paul would say, well, you know what? I see a lot of things that are going wrong. Yeah, there's problems in my churches. There's heresies. I got to address that. I got to face that. I got to do something about that. But there's a lot of good things. But he said, you know what? No matter how much good or bad I can see, I know who's holding the glass. I know who's holding the glass. I know who's going to be pouring in blessing, who's going to be using the bad things. I don't always know what's going on in the circumstances, but I know who's holding the glass, my Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord. He's on high. He's ruling over all things, and he is ultimately holding my life in his hands. So what did that actually look like for the Apostle Paul? Well, you see a couple scenarios at the opening of his letter to the Philippians, all these things that you would look at them and you would say, this is awful, this is bad. You should be sad and depressed, Paul. What's, what's going on with you? And this is how he looked at things. So for example, in Philippians chapter one, verses one, uh, he says this, now I want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me going to jail has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Say, Paul, you're in prison? And he says, that's right. Isn't it great? I'm in prison. (laughs) And now that I'm in prison, these guards have to listen to me. And I'm talking to them every day about Jesus. I'm chained to these guards. And the the palace guards have have heard the gospel and they're bringing that all the way to Caesar's household. It says at the end of this letter, he says, blessings from all of Caesar's household. That somehow, because Paul was in prison, the preaching of the gospel got all the way to Caesar's household. That Paul was rejoicing, even in prison. He could see that God was holding the glass, that God was using the good and the bad for his kingdom. What, what else? Well, a couple of verses later, he says this. He's talking about some other preachers. There's some preachers who've been stealing his members. He says, "It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of good will. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. So some people are taking care of his congregation for good. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So this kind of thing happens today too, where it seems like there were some preachers who were stealing some other people's sheep. They wanted the big church. And so they're saying, come over here to my church. I'm a lot hipper than the Apostle Paul. I wear skinny jeans. I, 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 got, I got the cool haircut. I do everything right. Come over to my church. And they were leaving the Apostle Paul's church. You don't want to hang out with him. You hang out with him, you wind up in prison. And so they were coming to these other people's churches. And that happens today, you know, and there's rivalry sometimes among pastors And Paul says, yeah, people are leaving my church. Isn't that great? They're leaving my church and they're hearing the gospel from somebody else. Think about this. The gospel is being preached everywhere. People are hearing about Jesus. Isn't that great? It's not about me. And he says, because of that, I rejoice. Because he's rejoicing in the Lord. And then he starts considering what's going on with him in prison. The reality that he could be executed in prison. And he says this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So Paul says, I'm in prison and one day they might come in here and execute me. Wouldn't that be great? I would be with Jesus. That would be better by far. That'd be awesome. I can't wait to be with Jesus. But you know what? I'll probably stick around a little bit longer. I'm not looking to to, to end my life prematurely because I know that even in prison... I have fruitful labor that I can do. There's things for me that God still has for me to do. I I actually love to read this section um, when I would do hospital visits or or especially in nursing homes, when somebody's in a nursing home and think, you know, my life's over. I I don't have anything left to do. I'd love to read this verse. That yes, if you die, you will be with Christ with better by far. But if you're still here, even in this nursing home, if you're still here, there's fruitful labor for you to do. There's always a reason to rejoice. You still have purpose in your life. So this helps us answer the opening question. How can we always experience joy? What is the, uh, the eternal source of, of joy? Christians can always rejoice in the work of the Lord. Christians can always rejoice in the work of the Lord. As long as you keep your eyes fixed on the Lord and believe the Lord is holding the glass, Yeah, I can see the bad stuff and I need to work on that. We need to fix that. And I can see the really good things, the blessings. And even if I can, I'm sure they're there. But whether I can see the good things and the bad things, I know God is holding the glass. That he's going to take care of me and watch over me. And he's going to use this good and the bad and all those things for my good. So how do you do that? Well, Martin Luther once said Something that, and he was talking about temptation, but I think it also applies to emotions. What he said about temptation, he said, You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. Now he was talking about temptation, but I think this also applies to emotions. You can't help feeling some emotions. They're gonna fly into your life like a bird flying over your head. Someone cuts you off when you're driving. You're gonna get angry. It's just gonna happen, right? Emotions is that response. You know, somebody says something to you, and they're trying to, you know, make you afraid. And you're afraid. Maybe you lose your job, and the, the 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 when the boss says it's over, all of a sudden you have that feeling of fear. You know, that emotion flies over your head of worry, or, or maybe you have that emotion of, of sadness. You lose a loved one, you lose a job, you lose a friendship, and that sadness flies over your head. But it doesn't need, doesn't mean we need to feed it. And that's what can happen. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get so used to this feelings of sadness or worry or fear that I, they, they, I make them feel like they're at home in my heart. It's kind of like this bird, you know, I'm feeding the bird, giving it some down to make a nice little nest and just let this, this bird of sadness or let this bird of anger or let this bird of fear or worry just live and I feed it and take care of it when I should be shooing it out, right? That we don't have to keep um, holding on to these emotions. We don't have to keep um, encouraging them and, 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 and absorbing them and thinking about them because there always is hope in the Lord, God really is with you. He is really at work, whether you can see or not. He's really holding the glass. And so if you did lose that job and all of a sudden that that feeling of fear comes in your mind, you can remember, the Lord is with me. He's gonna take care of me. He's gonna watch over me. He's done in the past. He's gonna do it again. I lost that loved one. I'm gonna feel, I'm gonna grieve, I'm gonna have sadness, but he promises on the last day he's gonna resurrect all people and reunite us. I'm so angry about what happened at work. Well, God is still the judge. Jesus is on high. He's ruling over all things and he will bring justice. That that you don't have to hold on to these unwanted emotions. You don't have to live in them and foster them and encourage them and, and, and fuse with them and live in them and make them part of who you are. You can shoo them out every day. Wake up and shoo them out. Empty the bird feeder. And then... Feed your heart with the Lord. Rejoice in what the Lord is doing, thinking about the Lord. Paul says in this section, the whole section, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything but everything. Prayer and petition. Present your requests to the Lord with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. And so rejoice in the Lord always. Not in your circumstances, not in what's half full, not what's half empty, not what's going right or wrong, but rejoice in the work of the Lord, what He is up to right now in your life. So I want to encourage all of you optimists and pessimists to unite. You need each other. Some of you, some of us need a realist in your life to point out what's not working and what needs to be improved. And some of you need an optimist in your life to to show you what's good and what's going right and what you can rejoice over. But what we all need is to remember who's holding the glass, who's in charge, who's reigning on high, who loves us, who's blessing us with his scarred hands, reminding us that we're forgiven and we're loved and we're accepted and he's in charge. And that's why, You can rejoice in the Lord always. Let's pray. Lord God, so many unwanted emotions pop into our heart, fly over our head. Let your spirit blow them out. Let your spirit expand in our hearts to fill us with the fruits of the spirit of of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control and hope. Fill us with your joy. Keep our eyes fixed on the Lord and what you're doing so that those unwanted emotions don't fuse into our very being. And Lord God, when you work this miracle, because only you can do this, we will give you all the glory. In your name we pray, amen.